Hello and welcome to The Premise. Bienvenidos, mi amigos. I'm Jennifer Thompson. And I'm Chad Thompson. And this is, what, season three? Season three. Wow. We are in season three of getting to the story behind the storyteller. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we do. That's what we do here on The Premise. So sit back, relax. Listen. Listen to your eight tracks. I dig you like an old soul record. <laughs> Enjoy a cup of tea, a glass of wine, a shot, you know, whatever. And you do you. You do you. We'll do us. No judgment here. We'll do us. Well, Mike, I am so excited to talk about this book. This has been quite a read. And mm. I, when I was asked to interview you, I was really excited because I don't really didn't, I should say, let me clarify, know a lot about QAnon. Um, so I thought, oh yeah, I want to dive into this. And oh my God, I had no idea. So mm. what an amazing book. So well you. written. You're such a great writer and nothing, it's, nothing about it is dry it's it's not textbook it's it just moves along like a thriller <laughs> and yet it's not fiction so let yes. me read your right that's the scary <laughs> scary part yeah so i'm going to read your bio for our listeners and um viewers and then we'll dive right in so mike rothschild is a journalist focused on the intersections between internet culture and politics as seen through the dark glass of conspiracy theories since 2018 he has specialized in examining the QAnon conspiracy cult and is one of the first journalists to reveal its connections to past conspiracy theories and scams he is a leading commentator on QAnon for the new york times the washington post npr cnn msnbc the bbc and the list goes on. You have an impressive uh, pedigree when it comes to conspiracy theories. So my, my first question is, what got you interested in conspiracy theories? I've, uh, I've always been interested in conspiracy theories as storytelling. Um, mm. You know, my, my background is, you know, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, you know, I didn't know people who were into this stuff. But in college, I, you know, as anybody in college does, you're pulling a lot of late nights. And I started listening to Coast to Coast AM. <laughs> the Art Bell radio show where he would have, you know, long talks about, you know, angels and UFOs and crop circles and the face on Mars and aliens and, and who killed Kennedy. And I, I was just fascinated by it. I, I didn't believe it, but I, I found it to be such compelling storytelling and so interesting and so outside of my own experience experience and, and my own world, I just stayed interested in it. And then I sort of meandered professionally for a while. And then I started writing for the blog of a critical thinking podcast called Skeptic. Mm. And, mm -hmm. um, and this is a show that's been around since I think 2006. And there are you know, 12 to 15 minute episodes every week about a different topic. So very, very kind of um, entry level, you know, if you've never heard of this, this is a great place to go and learn about all kinds of different hoaxes and myths and urban legends. And I just got more and more interested in it. And then hmm. after a you know, year and a half of doing that, just as sort of a, a fun thing, um, I wrote a piece about the uh, pseudoscience called oil pulling. And I, I don't know if you've heard of that or if our readers, you know, your listeners have heard of that. It's... Um, you take a certain amount of oil, coconut oil or olive oil, and you swish it around in your mouth and you then spit it out through your teeth. And supposedly, according to a number of pseudoscience practitioners, it cures everything that's wrong with you. 
uh, everything from sort of allergies to cancer to whatever it is. And I wrote this piece about it. And I think, okay, that's fine. And I, I checked on its stats and it got 250,000 views. And I'm just going, what happened here? What is going on with this? So I, <laughs> I then discovered that oil pulling had been featured in a segment on the Dr. Oz show. And I thought there were people who saw that, Googled looking for more information, probably because they wanted to do it, and then saw my piece saying, yeah, it doesn't really do any of that. That's not really how anything works. Um, don't do this if you think it's going to cure whatever's wrong with you. And I thought, oh, there's some real power in this. There, there's a real need for digestible, um, you know, entry-level mm. information that's not academic. You don't have to read a, a you know, scientific study to understand. It's just like, here's what this is. Here's where it came from. Here's why it doesn't work. And yeah. I found that I was able to do more and more of that as the need for that uh, ratcheted up accordingly. And now this is what mm. I'm able to do. I, you know, I'm able to write books and, and articles and speak and do expert witness work. And the, the need for uh, critical thinking and skepticism and how to spot a conspiracy mm. theory it has, has unfortunately never been, been higher. Wow. Yeah, so true. I mean, I think that's what I enjoyed about this book so much. You say it well, it's digestible. It's it's easy to read because it's funny, it's fun, it pokes fun, but also is very serious content. This is, is a very serious subject. Yeah, um, yeah. So you, you do that well. Thank you. And, you know, I don't have an academic background. Uh, I studied mm. theater in college. I, you know, I've yeah. never written a a serious research study. I, I've, I've never, I don't have a doctorate. I, you know, that's not me. This so. is theater though, right? It <laughs> is, oh, is oh it is. Oh, it is. It absolutely. And the, the ability to improvise whole new worlds on the fly, I think is really important to understand for a movement like QAnon. So having yeah. a background in performance, in uh, writing for an audience, in getting up in front of people and doing things, I found that to be extremely valuable. You know, I, I don't know if my research would be more meticulous if I'd gone through a program like that. I certainly see an enormous amount of value in those programs, but that's just not where my path led me. And that's not what most people want when they're looking to understand something that they don't know anything about and makes absolutely no sense. Totally. So when I first heard about QAnon, uh, at least when I paid attention, I was driving home and there's this chain link fence that separates you from the freeway. Mm -hmm. And with red silo cups, someone had put the red silo cups into the letter, save the children. Mm, okay. And I was driving by it with my husband and I was like, what the hell? It was like really <laughs> ominous. Yeah. It was like yeah. this ominous message that felt like, kind of, it kind of scared me if you want to yeah. know the truth. So my husband told me what it was and the, this whole movement. And I was like, what is happening? But like that <laughs> feeling. Yeah. So let's, what is QAnon? Tell our, sure. I mean, I think people have a general idea, but I want to hear from you. What is sure. QAnon? Sure. And I never assume that anybody knows what this is. Uh, and I, and I uh, envy you if you don't know what this is. So mm. QAnon, or what we knew as QAnon, was a cult-like conspiracy movement based on the prophecy that Donald Trump would at some point unleash a massive purge of the deep state. So the Democratic Party, the Hollywood elite, the business elite, uh, the, the uh, media, you know, any sort of pop, you know, popular left wing 
figure would be swept up in this great storm of mass arrests. And there would Mm -hmm. be hundreds of thousands of indictments unsealed and there would be field tribunals and the, the verdict would always be guilty. The penalty would always be death. And there would be public executions at Guantanamo Bay, Hillary Clinton, the Obama and the George Soros and all, all these people would be brought to justice. And we would live in a utopia after that with peace and freedom and free energy and free cures for cancer and everybody would be rich. And, and we, would, we would finally get all of the things that we'd been denied by this evil cabal. And the Q aspect of it comes from a figure who called themselves Q clearance patriots. And they mm. used the image board 4chan to dispense very cryptic and rhetorical clues to what was going to happen using events of the day as proof that Q was real. So this story was told over something like 4,900 of these posts, which are are called drops, that were posted first on 4chan and then on 8chan. So Q migrated from 4chan to 8chan. 8chan is basically an even worse version of 4chan. And this story encompassed the 2018 midterms, the 2020 election, COVID-19, the Clintons, and all the, the big scandal industry around them, you know, uh, media, pop culture, sports, everything was fed into this conspiracy and then spat back out as part of this secret silent war between good and evil. And Q believers were just watching it. They weren't just sitting on the sidelines hoping for the best. They were part of it. So they participated mm-hmm. in the war. You made memes, you decoded Q posts, you shared things with your friends, you got together and, and deciphered these things. And all of these elements are are old. There is nothing in QAnon that was dreamed up by whoever made these posts. You know, all of the the idea of the the cabal, the deep state, that's another version of the new world order, of the Illuminati, yeah. you know, the, yeah. uh, the the master conspiracy, the, you know, the trilateral commission, the Bilderbergs, there's a million names for it. None of that's new. The idea of getting together in small groups and sort of decoding the, the events of the day and, and figuring things out, that that's not new. All of this has been around before. Q just put it together in a package that was very social media savvy and was very appealing to disaffected Trump supporters who wanted to know why more things weren't happening that they thought were going to happen. Well, because there's yeah. a there's a deep state standing in your way and now we get to fight back. And the thing about it is like, you know, the Republican Party, like no one really came out and said, hey, this is bullshit. You know, no, they maybe they sort of tapped around it. But, you know, even Trump was retweeting Q tweets. Right. Like he was a supporter for right. all intents and purpose. Right. Right. So the the GOP very quickly found itself with this sort of conspiracy blob and this this group of very vocal outsiders that they mm-hmm. didn't want to encourage. You, know, you don't want you don't want to publicly say you're you're part of a group that thinks satanic pedophiles run the world. But you're mm-hmm. not pushing it away either. You're not saying, well, I, those people are crazy. We don't want anything to do with them. Those are not Republicans. You're saying, well, they're just asking questions and well they have the right to have an opinion. And well maybe, you know, maybe they have a point about all everything that's being done to to Donald Trump to stop him. So it's walking a line that's not pushing something away but it's not uh, necessarily approving it either. And what right. you're doing is you're giving your approval tacitly. And so this yeah. movement continued to grow. 
Trump would retweet Q believers, Q uh, people with Q avatars. He would retweet, um, you know, Q memes. hashtags, memes, mm-hmm. all kinds of mm-hmm. memes. And then, and then the the, the uh, legend in Q is that if Trump was asked about QAnon, he would have to reveal the entire plan, and Q would, would end. So everybody knows Q is real because all oh, the media is not asking him about it. Why wouldn't they just end it? Well, the media finally did ask him about it. He was like, "Well, I don't really know anything about him. I just know they like me." Well, and I like that course, part, yeah. <laughs> right, and of course that's what he's going to say. So yeah. nothing nothing has any permanence in Q. Everything can be mm-hmm. reinterpreted to be positive for the story that you want to be true. Right. Yeah, this this idea of disconfirmation. Talk about that. Yes. So there is a a very well-known book called When Prophecy Failed. It's from the mid-1950s. It was an academic study by three uh, professors who embedded themselves in a Chicago-area UFO cult. And what they found in a very intense um, very, very heavily detailed study of these people is that this was a very small group. I don't think it was ever more than a couple dozen people. But the the person behind it was this this housewife who said she was getting automatic writing messages. She would she would start writing the messages from these aliens who were telling her of a great disaster that was about to come, and she was the only person who was allowed to know about it. And she herself would spread the word to this very, very small group of acolytes. Now, nothing that this woman prophesied ever happened. There there was no flood, there was no alien ship, nobody was taken away. They they went outside on one Christmas Eve, uh, singing carols and waiting for the ship to come. And the ship didn't come. And a couple of people were like, I'm done with this, I'm going home. But a lot of people stayed. And why people stay is because you don't have anywhere else to go. When you Mm -hmm. have thrown away everything else in your life, everybody in your life thinks you are completely crazy, wants nothing to do with you. You've left your home, possibly left your job. You have nothing else but the other people who believe this. And there's nothing that's going to make you walk away from it because you have nowhere to walk to. So -hmm. that's why people stay. And that's why people have stayed in QAnon and stayed in some of the offshoot movements. Because no matter how bizarre the prophecies are, it's better than what's on the outside world because the outside the loneliness, world, the loneliness of yeah. being the only person who knows what's really going on. And if right. you stay within the group, well, at least you're together and mm-hmm. you're not in the outside world that hates you. Yeah. Let's talk about this concept of um, togetherness and this culture that really the Q QAnon has created for people who felt like they didn't belong. It's created this Mm -hmm. sense of community. And what I find fascinating about it is it doesn't have a leader. There's no known leader. Like all of the people get to have power in this community. And I think that's what's so compelling, would you say? Yes. And one of the things that makes it hard to pin down exactly what QAnon is, it certainly has extremely cultic tendencies. The Mm in-group versus the out-group, the jargon, the... um, you know, the prophecies, all of that stuff. But it doesn't have a charismatic leader. It doesn't have that figurehead whose iron will and usually um, financial or sexual appetites power the group. In, in Q, they would say things like, we're the only cult that teaches you to think for yourself. Well, mm. if you're in a group where you are being, quote, taught to think for yourself, you're probably in a cult, except there's <laughs> no one guiding it. 
uh, Q would say would constantly say things like, "Well, you know, do research. I'm who, what makes you think I'm right?" Uh, you know, there's a and there's a lot of that in these conspiracy movements. One of the um, sort of godfathers of the modern conspiracy movement. I don't really talk about him in the book because it just I, I just couldn't get there. But this guy named Bill Cooper wrote a very very important book called "Behold a Pale Horse." hugely, hugely influential in the militia movements, the 90s, conspiracy movements. Now, he had a radio show where he would say, don't trust anybody, including me. So it's wow. that like, you are the only mm. person who gets to determine what your reality is. And anybody who's telling you anything else is lying to you. Even the person who says they're telling the truth is lying to you. If they don't say, I might be wrong, figure it out for yourself. And, and it, what it does is it makes every single person kind of their own universe. And in a yeah. lot of ways, it's really empowering because mm -hmm. it, it gives you control over what you think is happening in your life. You say, well, if I don't like this, I'll walk away. Now, you just really never do walk away. Mm. It's like give, giving permission to be righteous, self-righteous. Yes. yes. It, there, there's a smugness to a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. you, you'll get a lot of social media posts of being like, well, you know, my... My family's all asleep. You know, I'm the only one who's awake. All of the things I used to enjoy, they're all satanic. And I see through it now. I see all the lies. I, I've had my eyes open. I mean, there's constant talk of you know, being awake and your eyes are open and you know what's going on. Everybody else is stupid. There's a, there's a smug certainty to that kind of um, mythology. Yeah. So QAnon went dark for almost a year, if I understand correctly, since your book was written. Yes. And published the, in 2021. Yes. Um, and just here in June, they dropped a Q, uh, what's it called? They a drop. A drop. Yes. They dropped a drop. They dropped five, a drop. 5954. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, so, yes. So what's happening now? I mean, what would you say is happening now with QAnon? Has it evolved? It has definitely evolved. So the last Q posts were made in December of 2020. So Trump had lost the election. I mean, not that anybody who was reading this stuff believed that Trump had lost the election. And mm -hmm. the person who is most likely behind the drops, this guy, Ron Watkins, I talk about a lot about him in the book. He was the former yeah. administrator of Aikun. Uh, that's what Achan became Aikun. It's a long, complicated story. Not that read the book, folks. Read, read the, the book. book and it'll it's explain it all. <laughs> it's, uh, it, that's the thing is that some of these things just are better explained in writing because like, yeah. if I if I start talking about it, it just I just seem like I had a stroke and I'm like spouting <laughs> babble. So Ron Watkins uh, on Election Day says I'm leaving Acorn effective immediately. Uh, I'm going to pursue my hobby of woodworking. Well, he did not uh, go to the hammer and chisel. He instead picked up a manual for a Dominion voting systems machine and started tweeting relentlessly about how the election was stolen and how these machines can be hacked. Now, never mind that he has no background in this at all. Because the people who had been conditioned into believing that Trump could never lose needed some other explanation for what happened, they found Ron's yeah. tweet. And that explained things. That explained, here's what happened. Here's how it happened. And here's the proof. Here's the pages from the manual. Don't believe me. Believe the manual. So Ron's getting retweeted by the president. He's getting interviewed by national media. He doesn't need Q anymore. Q goes dark. Q, there is no need for Q to be around anymore. And for a year and a half, the last Q post was a dead link to a video that had been taken off of YouTube. 
Uh, it was a Trump campaign video mm. with the Twisted Sister song. We're not people thought it was gone, right? Yeah, people thought it was gone. People thought that was it. And then out of nowhere, I, I'm actually at a, a baseball game and I'm just sort of idly checking Twitter and people are like, Q's back. I'm like, oh no, no, please no. And there are <laughs> a couple of Q posts made. They are completely free of any kind of substance. And it is very obvious to anyone who knows anything about this that it was Ron's father, Jim, who owns Aitken, who made these posts. Um, the, te- mm. the technical reasons are, are very complicated, but it was obvious that Jim had done it. And it, it, that took all of the wind out of it right away. People were like, oh, Q's back. Oh, okay. We're just going to go back to uh, what we've built in the year and a half since then, because there's no real need for Q to exist anymore. They have mm. an entire industry devoted to the stolen election, the COVID hoax, uh, the, 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 um, the danger of cancel culture. They don't need these Q drops anymore. You've got major figures. They've got other, who, things. They've got other things. They've got major <laughs> figures who are now giving uh, monthly conferences, drawing thousands of people saying the same stuff that Q was saying. Yeah. When you're getting retweeted by Trump and you're having thousands of people show up at your event, you don't need cryptic nonsense anymore. You are too mm-hmm. mainstream for that. So Q now is much less of an organized conspiracy movement. They've really stepped back from the catchphrases and the hashtags and the really weird stuff. They've sanded down a lot of the occult stuff and the Hillary drinks baby blood and the numerology and all the really weird stuff to embrace just like, yeah, Trump, Trump's the real president. Of course, ivermectin cures cancer. Um, Of course, cancel culture is going to censor all of us. And of course, uh, you know, we are now being ordered to say that women are men and men are women, and, and, and we're going to fight back against all of that. You, you don't need a conspiracy avatar when you have a whole population of people doing that. Now, there yeah. are still people who believe some of that stuff. There's, they're just in much smaller, much more focused groups. I want to know where this idea that Trump can time travel came from. Oh, sure. That's a, that's a favorite of mine. So there was um, a couple of books written by this guy in the late 1800s, this guy named Ingersoll Lockwood. I don't wrote, know how you remember all of this. It's, uh, it's wildly I, impressive and slightly disturbing. It, it is. It is. <laughs> I, you know, some of it I just find really interesting. Um, yeah. It's not often that you get a completely forgotten novel from 120 years ago dug <laughs> up as like a going concern in American politics. So there, there are a couple of books this guy wrote. One is called 1900, The Last President which was about a, a sort of very kind of near, like two minutes in the future kind of America where America was falling apart. And then there was another book he wrote called, I can't quite remember it, but it's like Baron Trump, the time traveler mm. uh, about this sort of figure who was a baron who had access to a time machine. And he went back around and like traveled in time and did all kinds of adventures. Very kind of late 1800s, H.G. Wells style stuff. Um, pretty much forgotten. But people were like, oh, the last president, Baron Trump, this must be about Trump. It must be, you know, Trump or somebody must have gone back in time and written about this to prepare us for Trump. Now, the other thing that ties into that is that um, Donald Trump's uncle, John Trump, was a physicist. And he actually was tasked by the FBI in in, in World War II with looking through the last papers of Nikola Tesla. Uh, Tesla, in his last few years, was a recluse. He was living in a hotel, 
had uh, absolutely crippling OCD. He was incapable of work. And he scribbled the notes for a, a, a bunch of different inventions of concepts that would never work. Uh, wireless powered transmission and death rays and all this nonsense. So John Trump looks through this stuff and goes, this is the ravings of a madman. Nothing here is useful. But of course, you know, Trump would talk about, oh, my uncle, he read through Tesla's papers, but then he wasn't allowed to talk about it. There's really amazing things there. And Tesla's held up, uh, not not the company, the man is is held up as this sort of uh, suppressed knowledge avatar. So when you combine mm. Trump's uncle with Tesla, with the, these other books, and you, tr- you turn it into this story that is kind of fun to kick around in your head, but it doesn't really mean anything. And it feels... Wh- I'm sorry, go ahead, please. I, I was just going to say, it feels like, like conspiracy theories are like modern day mythology. Yes, absolutely. There, there, is a, there is a mythological aspect to all of this heroes and villains, um, Mm. fantastical technology, unbelievable stories, uh, news spread in in novel ways, you know, stories that change as they get handed down. And of course, many of the most durable conspiracy theories have been around for generations, centuries. They're passed down, they're readapted by new authors to new audiences. There there is a folklore element to this stuff, which is what makes it so durable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And enticing. Yes. Isn't Trump's son named Baron? Yes, Trump's youngest son is Baron. Uh with two R's, not not Baron like the nobility title. But that Got doesn't it. matter. I mean it, the fact that his name is Baron two R's, not Baron one R, doesn't matter. The 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 believers in these kinds of movements will wave off any element that doesn't match up to the story as well you know it's not perfect or it has to be done that way to uh keep it from being taken by the deep state and whatever Mm -hmm, whatever it is mm -hmm. there's always a reason why it never quite fits together and that not fitting together never matters and it doesn't matter because they don't want it to matter they're not looking for truths they like where they're at they love this it's exciting there's the community aspect of it they have the answers the smugness we talked about so they're never going to believe reality or truths it's just not in the cards right many of them will just not walk away from this or it will be replaced by something else. It will, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Q mythology will get subsumed into some other new conspiracy theory. The The biggest demographic for people who believe that QAnon is real are people who already believe in conspiracy theories. So mm-hmm. there is a progression from uh, the Jews run the Federal Reserve to uh, 9-11 <laughs> was an inside job to the Clinton mm-hmm. body count to Obama's fake birth certificate to... Q is real to the election was stolen to whatever the thing is going to be next week, next month, next year. There is a very logical progression of how these things work. You don't ordinarily, you don't just wake up one day and go, oh, yeah, QAnon, that's real. I've never believed anything else like that before. But now this, this is the thing that that's real. It doesn't seem like it's going to go away either. I mean, we have QAnon believers in Congress right now. And we I have, think part of the rhetoric yeah. is like, you know, run for office, get involved. Yes. You are the solution. You are the plan. Yes. That's what scares me. Yes. There is a, a progression in this movement from 
sort of kicking things around on social media to actively participating in democracy. You know, people right. who believe not just QAnon, but but that Trump is the real president. COVID was a hoax. All of these things. They are running for office in in droves and they're not the sort of outsider perpetual candidates who, you know, would, would run under the, you know, whatever party with their weird manifesto and get 12 votes. These are people who are very plugged into social media and very good at tapping into things that more and more people are believing. And, and yeah. they're not even specific things. It's just a vague feeling that we are being lied to. We are being exploited. Uh, we are yeah, being experimented right. on. Our way of life is being canceled. We're not allowed to talk about the our things worship. that we used to talk yeah. about. Our worship, the yeah. food we eat. You know, mm-hmm. they're telling mm-hmm. us that men are women and that, you know, all, that we can't say certain words anymore. And, and you find people who are very good at tapping into that. And they run for office in... And not necessarily for president or for senator, but for state legislature, for state secretary of state, for school boards, for city councils, for planning commissions. You know, these these offices that in some ways are just as important as whatever is going on with the Senate and the Supreme Court and the filibuster. Absolutely. Yeah, th- yeah. These are the people who really make things work in communities. And a lot of them will have power to certify elections. And that yes. is the fear that I have, is that these <laughs> people too. are, are yeah. going to, are, yeah, are going to get into, they're going to be secretary of state. They're going to get on their local GOP commission. Uh, and they're going to say, no, we're, we're not going to certify that. They're already talking about it. There are people who are, run, who are winning primary elections, states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, are already saying, I wouldn't have certified Joe Biden. I'll never certify a Democrat. We need to have a, a hand recount of every single bell. We need to decertify and rerun in the Arizona. election. Yeah, it's happening in there. It's a huge in Arizona. Right now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the things I learned in your book, too, that I'd like you to talk about is that, I guess, studies show that Democrats don't vote in local elections. Yes. So talk, why is that? Yeah. I find that fascinating. Yeah, there's a, yeah, well, yes, there's always been a, a, a kind of um, unspoken word that Republicans just turn out for every election. Whether it's hmm. the you know community college board that you don't even have any kids who go to community college, they they show up, they vote, and Democrats will vote every four years, and uh, Democrats hmm. want a perfect candidate, and Republicans will just vote for anybody with an R next to their name. Yeah. They they uh, they yeah. fell in behind Trump after months of attacking him, months of saying you know horrible things about Trump. As soon as mm-hmm. he had the nomination, it was like oh yeah, he's our guy. Yeah. None of that stuff matters now. He's our guy mm-hmm. and we got to be him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you're seeing really galvanized Republican turnout at the local level. And of course, with our these gerrymandered maps that we have, a lot of these districts now are so massively Republican that the Democrats never going to win them. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So a, yeah. a candidate who is running in a really crowded field in a local race can stand out by spouting conspiracy theories and tweeting some Q hashtags and talking mm-hmm. about the Great Reset and Ivermectin and all of these other things. Whereas, you know, another candidate might be, well, I want sound fiscal policy and I'm going to see about getting those potholes filled and uh, we're going to yeah. pass this right. law. Oh, how boring, right? Nobody cares about yeah. that. That's boring. Yeah. People want excitement. People want 
good versus evil. People want secret conspiracies. People want uh, outlandish nonsense. That's what, what gets the hell do interested. we do? Well, yeah, like yeah, <laughs> we need I, our own know, conspiracy theory. Well, you know, I there, think there you are, should be at the head of this. Oh, I, I, you know, <laughs> one of the scary things is that you really can do it if if you pump mm-hmm. out, if you mm-hmm. find a really bizarre idea and just pump out a lot of content about it. You can find an audience. Um, I mean, now, look at Scientology. The, the, sure, look at Scientology. Look at any kind of the, these cultic movements. They mm-hmm. they draw people in with the weirdest stuff because people want something to believe in, and totally. we see these conspiracy theories yeah. pop up just out of nowhere about things that mm-hmm. don't even deserve them, and that's Democrat and Republican. I've seen Democrats getting. You, you know, anti-Trump people on Twitter getting thousands of retweets with conspiracy theories about how Trump had Ivana pushed down the stairs and killed so he could get out of a deposition. And then her, she was secretly cremated and her coffin is full of classified documents. This is crazy stuff. But, mm-hmm. but we're confronted with all of these things that just don't make any sense. And we're looking for order. We're looking for things to fit the way we believe the world works. And we do that through conspiracy theories. And unfortunately, that's a human trait. We are all wired to do that. We're all wired to see the uh, rustling in a bush as a predator, because most of the time it's not going to be a predator. But then one time Mm -hmm. it is going to be, it's going to claw your face off. So yeah, we're wired into these things. And that's that's just human nature. And there are people who are inherently really good at exploiting it. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. When I think about, is it Jim Watkins? Did I get his name right? Is it uh, Jim Watkins? Wat- yeah. Jim Watkins. Yeah. When I think about him, and it really is compelling that he's the one yeah. behind all of this. Yeah. I mean, everything you laid out, like I'm a believer. So it just feels like whether it's him or someone else was this was just something fun to do a sociopath who likes to just troll people and stir up shit and who's just a maniac. And then there was yeah. enough people that just had fun with it jumped in and ran with it. And I think it got a, got a, away from him, honestly. Yeah. I think he ever intended yeah, it. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for that theory. And it's really the theory that most people who really study movements like QAnon have, have come to. No, it doesn't. People have said, oh, it's got to be the Russians. It's got to be, um, you know, the PSYOP being run on the American people. Well, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be that. People are just mm-hmm. really good at believing things they want to be true. And yeah. Um, Americans especially are really, really prolific at creating alternate universes to live in. You know, the the post-war conspiracy boom was enormous. And that wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, some of it was like inflamed by Soviet intelligence, but this was all stuff that was already in our culture. It's just easier to spread and much more accessible now. Way more accessible. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to, the, the access to it is what is so mind boggling and it's not going to go away. I want to sort of change the subject, but sure. not. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that QAnon affected how Trump behaved and some of the things he did and even leading up to the January 6th mm-hmm. event? I just wonder if he was sort of tapped in what, to what was happening with that fringe group, which frankly, I don't know if we can call it fringe anymore. Right. Um, you certainly wouldn't call it fringe. But did do you think QAnon affected Trump's actions? I think that he was very plugged into it 
um, I think his people really were. He was retweeting stuff that I don't know how he would have seen that otherwise. Right. Um, very yeah. obscure accounts, stuff that's just like Q influencers who were really kind of deep down the roster. He would retweet them and be like, how is he seeing this? He clearly had people who were plugged into this, who knew what this was, who knew what would work and got that in front of him. Mm -hmm. And he Mm -hmm. found a group of people who just adored him, who thought he was the Messiah, who thought he was the answer to all of America's problems. And of Mm -hmm. course, a person like Donald Trump is going to Mm. embrace that, is going to pull those people in. It, It doesn't have to be more than that. And of course, you had in, in all of 2020, and even way before the election itself, Trump was saying, it's going to be rigged. They're going to steal it from me. We got to be ready. Oh, yeah. And that's exactly yeah. what Q was saying. Q was saying the same thing. They're going to steal it. Here's how they're going to do it. It's going to be uh, cloned Chinese ballots. It's going to be uh, mass terrorist attacks at polling places. It's going to be uh, you know, mass die-offs of the elderly to scare people from going to vote in person because voting by mail is completely rigged. There's no way that that will, you know, there's no way that's going to be real. It's going to be crooked. If Trump loses, it was a fraud. And so mm-hmm. when Trump mm-hmm. gave that speech election night saying, frankly, I did win this election, that didn't come out of nowhere. That was almost that a was a plan. Year. That was a plan. Yeah. That was a year of the ground being prepared for a, a fraudulent election movement to take hold. And it did immediately. And I guess my assumption is that he hoped that he could stir up enough shit that they would go to Congress, or I'm sorry, it would go to the Supreme Court. Yeah. And then yes. the Supreme Court would make the decision and he would be reelected. Do you yes, think that's... There, there, there were so many different plans for how the election would be overturned. You had this endless series of court cases. You had this... this hope against hope that the Supreme Court would take up the case. Like the Supreme Court is not going to just decide that Donald Trump won the election without any evidence whatsoever. That's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Then you had the audits mm-hmm. and, and the endless numbers of, of forensic audits and the huge amount of money that was poured into these things, looking for, you know, secret Trump votes and and how the how things were hacked. You had these wild conspiracy theories about the uh, CIA and the you know army having a shootout in Frankfurt over a, an election server and Italian satellites were changing votes and there were mules dropping off thousands of fake mail-in ballots. It's just endless numbers of conspiracy theories. And it's not that any one of them is true. It's that mm-hmm. there are so many that a, a, a rational person and a person who has a life and doesn't want to spend all of their time stewing in this just goes, okay, I'm not even going to engage with this. But the people who are engaging with it are profiting off it enormously. And that's to me. Yeah, we didn't even get to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So much of what it comes down to is just money. These people, Mm -hmm. these, these, these stolen election promoters, the Q promoters, I call it a stolen election industry because it is. They're making so much money off this. They have no reason to stop. That's right. That's right. So what do you think is going to happen when Trump dies? <laughs> you know, that's a, a really great question. I, I think that his grip on the Republican Party is such that even as his his, um, his scandal just completely overtakes him and, and real potential legal jeopardy from mm-hmm. the federal government in Georgia and New York, 
he's it only makes him stronger. I, I think yeah. that there will be a point where the fever has to break. If he loses mm. again, if he doesn't run, if he does die prematurely, that that the oxygen is going to get completely sucked out of the movement, and there's not going to be mm. a leader. There's not going to be that charismatic figure because he really is their leader. You know, he, he is really the is their leader. leader. Really, he is their yeah. leader, and and he doesn't make mistakes. So this was a really uh, you know a moment where I knew we'd really cross the Rubicon. When he was doing mm. I think, an interview, I think it was Bill O'Reilly. They were doing an event, and the vaccine came up, and Trump was talking very positively about the vaccine. And he said, "Oh yeah, of course I got the booster," and he gets booed. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe they're really turning against him. Maybe vaccine denial is finally more important than Trump. But then they mm. start going, well, he has to say that. He has to say he got the the booster. Exactly. He, there's no way he exactly. did. He's, he knows how yeah. bad it is. But he has to say that to to make sure that there aren't you know n- normies rioting in the streets. Nothing nothing matters. Everything can be reconfigured uh, to fit within yeah. the framework of the conspiracy. That's right. Well, Julie, we're going to invite you back on, but I just want to say a couple of things to our listeners and to our viewers out there. This book is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's it's not just a book on QAnon. It's really a book about conspiracy theories and how they work and how, how very real it is. Um, and I think it's a call. Uh, here's me getting on my soapbox. It's a call to really embrace our neighbors and talk to people and listen yeah. to them and hear them and understanding that people need human connection you know covid has has isolated so many people and has made i think q even stronger um so i guess read this book (laughs) and be kind to your neighbors is my message but thank you so much mike um fantastic author i can't wait to see your next book which you said a little bit about before can you tell our sure sure so i'm writing i'm writing a a book right now called jewish space lasers and it is a history great title thank you (laughs) thank you it's a a history of the conspiracy theories and the hoaxes around the rothschild banking family now i'm not related to the rothschild banking family from my family's from a completely different part of germany um the rothschilds never actually emigrated to the united states that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that i have found in this book is that the in, in writing this is that the proportion of, of conspiracy theories in America about the Rothschilds to actual sort of business by the Rothschilds in America is way out of whack. The Rothschilds really failed to break into the American market. And that's one of the really interesting things I'm, I'm uncovering. They're tied, though, to almost every major American history event in terms of having state funded it or being part of it or being the money behind it. So there is a huge amount of, of archival material. And I'm digging through, you know, extremist newsletters from the 50s, um, French conspiracy pamphlets from the 1890s, newspaper archives, um, you know, really obscure interviews, you know, journals from, from Jewish committees from the 30s. So there's all kinds of stuff there. I, I can't wait to get it out into the world. And I, wow. I, I think people are really going to enjoy it. I can't wait to read it. When is it going to be available? Hopefully by the end of next year. That's where we're, we're okay. hoping all end right. of next year, maybe beginning of 2024. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> Love the conspiracy series. I mean, I'm like I said, I was in the background writing stuff down. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but we do have some questions, so I'll get to those for the audience. Great. So, um, from Amanda, is there any way whatsoever to have rational and transformative conversations with folks who are cult minded? What is mm-hmm. your best advice for having an impact on this way of thought? 
my best advice would be to uh, not get your hopes up. <laughs> it is, and, and it, because it's extremely difficult. You're dealing with people who have invented a reality for themselves and they don't want to leave it behind. This is not uh, coercive. This is, we're not talking about sort of that classic idea of brainwashing. These people really, they get something out of this. This is a community for these people. And especially as these groups start to have more offline gatherings, as they start getting together at some of these conferences and some of oh. these events and things like that. Th- these, are, these are communities. These are friend groups. And you feel like you know something amazing, like you're dialed into a secret, like you've been unplugged from the matrix. And if you're talking to a person who's been unplugged from the matrix, they go, I don't want to go back in my pot. Why don't you get out of your pot? And, And that's very hard to break through. So I write about this a lot in the book. You know, if you have somebody in your life who's like this, first of all, there is absolutely no requirement to continue to engage with them. You can walk away from that person if for any reason, if you feel unsafe, if you just don't want to deal with it, if that person really is meaningful to you and you feel like, well, maybe they'll come out of it at some point, don't try to debate them. Don't try to debunk them. Don't send them like fact-checking articles. Right. You're, you're not going to go anywhere with that. Just be in their life. Just let them know you care about them. You're still there. You still love them. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe bring up some of the experience. Yeah, the, some of the experiences that you've had before, you know, things you've enjoyed together. And if they do start to come out of it, what usually happens is they find one thing that just doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't add up. They just can't reconcile it. And then very quickly, the whole domino pile falls down. Mm. But then if you have had that moment where the scales come off and you're like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. You, you turn around and there's nobody there. Your, your, your new community, they've shunned you. They don't want anything to do with you. And your old community, they've shunned you. They don't want anything to do with you. So if you're that person, you're you're at least a safe harbor for them to say, yeah. I, I don't know what to do next. And that's when you, you, then you do dig in. Then you do sort of figure it out together. And the, the thing to do at that point is unplug them. Try to get them away from the, the, the constant churn of conspiracy theories, of, of Trump, of, of you know social media, the stolen election, whatever it is try to get them away from that and back into nature, back into the hobbies they used to love. And then you can start to have an impact, but it's, it's hard. And, yeah. and it's, it's very, very difficult. I didn't really put kind it, advice. It, it's such kind advice because I think that that is where, and it's so for me too, you see these conferences. It's like what president in any of our past had ever gone out on these tours that he goes on these adulation tours Tours. yeah Yeah. it's in it's it's mind-boggling yeah but it's to your Mm -hmm. point of it's creating the sense of community that i didn't really even think of you know Mm -hmm. it's like this is this is like going to the football game tailgates yep that's exactly Mm -hmm. what it is Mm -hmm. you know and so this is the that common thing that we all go to a football game and we're all cheering for the same team yeah um it's that's and i did i until this moment i never really put that together um as far as that that sense of community that they are Mm -hmm. getting from this um and and like you said just feeding upon itself um and just feeding because i i can't remember i think it's the daily show sends out a a reporter or not a reporter whatever you want to call him into into some of these and he does the you know he he kind of like tries to debunk them a little bit 
And it never really works. No, it I never mean, goes anywhere. And unfortunately, no. what ends up happening is you you find that it's just mockery. Right, and it right. is it is exceedingly easy to mock these people. And yeah. um, <laughs> what is more helpful, I think, is is a little bit of compassion, is understanding, yeah. look, th- yeah. this, these people are, are caught up in something. And um, it's it's bigger than just sort of getting in a, a cheap laugh. Um, right. But no. I think, but I think it's a danger Agreed. though, in that they can become, and like you, to your point earlier about where they're, where they're impacting local elections and they're impacting those things. It, yeah. it can be dangerous. I mean, it's yes, gotta be, absolutely. it's gotta be brought out. They have to be called out. That's why we yes. have to be more active in our local politics. I mean, right. if there's any message from this is get out there and vote and be involved. And, and I love, I loved you said it earlier, cause I've been saying this forever that you're right. The Democrats have to have the perfect candidate and the Republicans will plug their nose and vote for anybody yep. that's got an R it's that's just, right. they have an agenda. Yeah. They have, they have yep. such great mark um, narrative. And talking points, and the Democrats just don't. Well, we're talking yeah. about killing babies, Julie. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, right. when you really yeah. believe that right. the other right. party's killing babies, then you're right. going to have more passion. Yeah. Right. It's it's really they and yeah. Okay, so Chad, I, and this is this goes back to. And we could talk time. all day. I know we could. I know we can keep going. Um, but this goes back to something you guys were talking about way earlier in the conversation. But he says. Um, and I think to the point of conspiracies, of course, it doesn't help that the government has actually done things like MK Ultra, Tuskegee True. experiments, mm-hmm. and Operation Sea Spray. Oh, absolutely. Indeed. That yeah. there, there is um, there is truth to a, a lot of popular conspiracy theories. And you know, I one of the questions I get a lot is like, "Oh, you believe the government? All the you know, the government's our friend. That you believe everything the media tells you?" Well, no, of course not. You know, the the govern our the U.S. government has done reprehensible things. That's what makes it much easier to believe in things like you and I. Right. When you when you say, well, they did that. What about this? And you and that's when you sort of dig into what really happened with these things. What really happened with something like MK Ultra? You know, that that term is thrown around all the time. And I think by a lot of people who don't quite understand what happened with it. And it was a it was a failed experiment. It, you know, it it should never have happened, but it was ultimately a failure. And it hasn't existed for decades. So when you say, "Well, they're just yeah, you know, they, whatever the new mass shooter was, they're just MK Ultra activated." Well, MK Ultra hasn't existed since probably the '70s. So it's it's getting in and understanding what is real and what is narrative and myth, and that's when I think these things become much more interesting, at least to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's the thing where they, um, and I think you guys talked about this too, where they'll flip on what is like and then you'll they'll be they'll be marching on this one and then it'll be like but it doesn't quite fit the narrative anymore so they flip it around and so right. it's like you're, you you right. never know what is reality with that right. sometimes or right. their and reality and it yeah. doesn't matter and, right and we're yeah. seeing that right now with the mar-a-lago right. search right. first the oh the fbi planted the, the document then right. it was well right. trump didn't even know where they were there then it was right. well trump declassified them by taking them home it yeah. it, it there is no consistent story and they no one asks there to be one it's no just, yeah yeah it's just how yeah. how can we turn this into a into our grievances yeah it's really something um the last question coming in from amanda again wondering what mike thinks about david i can't ever pronounce his name is it ike icky I-C-K-E? oh david ike yeah david ike. um one of the godfathers of the modern conspiracy movement um 
the popularizer of the reptilian conspiracy yes. theory, um, uh, raving yeah. anti <laughs> raving anti-Semites, so, yes. um, mm-hmm. very, very hugely influential and hugely prolific. Uh, putting out a new book or documentary all the time and uh, completely resistant to fact-checking, but taps into that idea that uh, people are, powerful structures are out to get us and we're being lied to all the time. So buy my book because I, you know, I'm going to explain it to you. Uh, yeah, just a hugely in, influential figure, very, uh, extremely really, toxic. Yeah, It goes back to your point too, that all these people are making money off of this. Oh, That's yeah. the crazy thing. Oh, it's, always it's a, follow yeah. the money. It's always, always about money. Follow, always yes. follow the yep. money. Even with Trump. Totally. I mean, yeah, that's completely you know, right. That's, yeah. That yeah. is it in the nutshell. It's like, just follow. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting a little more political than I usually do because mm. Warwick's tries to be um, a little bit of Switzerland, but not with this kind of conversation. It's, it's, hard. Yeah, it's hard. You want to be neutral. Like but... It's hard with something like this. Yeah. Yeah. But it is something because it's so. It, it is hard. It's really hard because. We don't want to alienate people. No, don't yeah. want to alienate. But. There does come a time when you have to be, you have to believe truth has to be truth and yeah. journalism has to be journalism. And we mm-hmm. have to be able to, you know, calling out the press and calling out things. We have to be so careful um, for our democracy um, if it's going to survive. Um, Listen, I'm scared. Yeah. I'm scared for America. Yeah, it's, it's I, a scary I time. It's I mean, a scary yeah. time right now. Right. It really is. And I mean, I, think I, the I was. time for. <laughs> I was at a dinner and I was kind of um, (laughs) accused of being Debbie Downer. We were at an author dinner and I said, aren't we one of the oldest democracies that have, that's ever lasted this long? He said, don't they all fail? Yeah. (laughs) And so (laughs) so they all just kind of looked at me and went, oh, great dinner conversation. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But well, we really ended this one on a positive note. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I try, I try to have hope. You know, I try to, mm-hmm. I try to live my life with optimism mm-hmm. and to understand how these things work is to, is to begin to have the tools to push back against them. Yeah. And I, and Absolutely. I just, I will end it on the, on the note of, I love your kindness message, which is talk to people, be in people's mm-hmm. lives and yeah. um, vote in your local elections. Yes. yes. <laughs> vote in your local elections. Go to a school yes. board meeting. Yes, absolutely. Stop absolutely. banning books. Right. Please. Yeah. Let's, you know, good Lord. <laughs> All right. Mike, I can't tell you, this was a great conversation. Thank Jennifer, you. thank yeah. you. Um, please thank come you. back for your next book. I will. love to have you. And um, yeah. with that. Okay. Good night, everybody. Okay. Good night. Thank good you. Good night, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey folks, this is Jennifer, and as you know, The Premise is the official podcast of the San Diego Writers' Festival, which, by the way, is happening this October, October 8th, in fact, 2022. It's going to Live be, and in person. Yeah, live and in person. I'm really, really excited. We, um, we have so many exciting things happening, so many exciting speakers. They're coming in from all over, and we want you to be there. So Coronado Public Library, the fourth annual San Diego Writers Festival. San Diego Writers Festival.com. You can subscribe to learn more about our programming and get on the list to win free books and all kinds of cool stuff happening. So San Diego Writers Festival.com. Dot com. <laughs>